I'm glad that we're here tonight. I'm glad that I have a chance to speak to you about our God and a personal encounter that he has um, with Saul. So if you would, um, we're going to be anchored in Acts 9. So if you'd grab your Bibles, open to Acts 9, verse 1. Um, I'd love to just pray, and then we can, we can get started. Gracious God, um, would you send your spirit to draw even closer to every person in this room, um, giving us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, hearts filled with courage to receive you, minds to understand what you have for us tonight. Um, would you send your spirit to just cover this room with the grace as we prepare to hear your word? Father, would you just lift our chins and seek our eyes? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, King Jesus, Prince of Peace. Amen. So what Jason read in Acts 9 um, shows us an encounter between Jesus and Saul. And this was after Jesus had been crucified. And his ministry, as we've seen it throughout the Gospels so far, um, is different. Because he is no longer physically on earth with us. It's the, the only encounter that we're going to be looking at uh, this semester, that the encounter with Jesus happens after Jesus has ascended into heaven. So it's going to feel a little different. It's going to look a little different. It's not Jesus in human form encountering a person, but it's Jesus as we experience him now, ascended, um, encountering a single person. So Saul who we often refer to as Paul, Paul who wrote about one-third of the New Testament. It's the same guy. Um, he was on his way to Damascus, actively um, ready to go persecute Christians. And as he's walking with his, his buddies, um, a super bright light shone from heaven and surrounded him. It was the middle of the day, he had just gotten close to Damascus. He was just on the outskirts of the town at this point. Um, and the super bright light shone from heaven, surrounded him. He fell to his knees, uh, and a voice appeared. This voice, though, was speaking directly to Saul. Um, his, his buddies that were around him couldn't hear it. They were aware that Saul was having a conversation with somebody, but they couldn't hear the voices. Um, they didn't see anybody. They just saw um, Saul in this conversation with somebody. And so right after this encounter happened with uh, Jesus and Saul by light and voice, Saul stood up and opened his eyes, but could not see. For three days, he was blind, didn't eat, and he didn't drink. And as I read this, I'm thinking, maybe, maybe I've wanted to hear the voice of Jesus in my life. Maybe you've wanted to hear the voice of Jesus in your life. Maybe it's just that super rad moment that you need in your testimony or something you want for the sake of your walk right now. It's a good thing to desire. But for Paul, Saul, same guy, it meant that he was blind for three days and his whole life changed. So for these three days that Saul was blind, he fasted. I guess probably like you would if the Lord had just encountered you and you were struck blind. I'm not sure what else. Um, we, we really know what to do in that, in that moment, but to surrender ourselves completely to the Spirit. 
And meanwhile, a Christian named Ananias was given a vision about Saul. And at first, Ananias was a little iffy on the idea of pursuing Saul, since he was, in fact, killing Christians. Um, but he went. I mean, he went as instructed to Saul after um, he, and he had laid hands on Saul, something like scales fell from his eyes. So Saul was baptized, he began eating, drinking, um, he regained strength, and he immediately began proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Complete turn of events. And in a quick summary, that's everything that Jason read to us in Acts 9, verses 1 through 22. But what I want you guys to focus on and really um, look to and see and please work hard to believe through this encounter between Jesus and Saul is that Jesus completely changed Saul's heart. And not only that, but Jesus can completely change your heart too. My suspicion is that there are two main things that keep us from believing that Saul can change our hearts personally. It's likely that many of us in this room fall, at least in part, either one or both of these two camps. Either we think it's just completely impossible for Jesus to change us, maybe we don't even feel worth it. Or we just don't actually want to be changed. We either think it's impossible for Jesus to change us, or we just don't want the change. But for those of us who are in the camp um, where a change of heart feels completely impossible, there's good news. Friends, Jesus is interested in encountering you on a personal level. He is interested in encountering you personally. You must know that that your problems, past, present, what you anticipate in the future, are not too big or too small for our God to be entirely full of care for you. He is interested in you. And not only that, but he meets us. Jesus meets us. He meets us exactly as we are, where we are, and he has no hidden agenda. He's not afraid to disrupt us, afflict us in our comfort. He's not afraid to move. He's not afraid to change. He's not afraid to speak. And if, you, if, you're, if you're hearing this and you're, you're thinking about it internally and you're anything like me, there might be some level of, uh, of conviction that stirs up or, or sometimes even just this uh, like stomach-dropping pit of panic at the thought of Jesus meeting me exactly where I am right now. In my sin, my heart exposed everything completely on the table. Jesus seeing me when I deliberately neglect my neighbor because I'm in a hurry. Jesus meeting me while I go home to take a nap or I sleep in late, I go to bed late, I disrupt myself with sleep for the sake of coping with the emotional turmoil that I'm just not ready to face. Jesus meeting me there. 
Jesus meeting me while I openly submit to the, the authority of fear in my life like I do every day? Jesus seeing me and meeting me there? These are not the places that I want Jesus to interrupt me. Why not here when I'm worshiping, when I'm at the house? Why does it have to be when I'm at home, in my bed, avoiding? But, but first, um, shame has just no place in the kingdom of God, period. Great. Um, but, but if what you feel is conviction, the sense that there are some things that are happening in your world, some actions that you are taking that are not aligned with the will of God, that are not life-giving, lean into that. God does not want you to feel shame, but if you're feeling conviction, it's actually because God loves you. Conviction is real. And as hard as it may be to believe this sometimes, friends, it is a grace from the Lord. And a grace is an undeserved gift. Conviction is a gift from the Lord. Come on. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if something is stirring within you and it makes you think that perhaps something you are doing is, is, is a tension against or pushing you against the will of God, the Lord has already moved towards you. And that's good news. Keely, if you, if you would, can you put um, the Romans 5 verse up? Thank you, thank you. Um, Romans 5, 8 proves this over and over. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is good news. The wages have been paid in Jesus Christ and you do not owe anything. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While you were still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you. Not after you confessed and repented, not after you cleaned yourself up, not after you got out of bed, but while you were dead, Jesus died for you. Conviction within your heart means God has already beaten you to the punch in loving you. And right now, in this very moment, Jesus is not far from you. The Holy Spirit is in this place. And nothing, nothing, nothing about our sin catches God by surprise. None of it. Friends, he's here, and he knows. Keely, can you um, put up Acts 17 now, please? Oh, okay. Um, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being.
God is not far from each one of us because it is in him, in him, that we live, move, and have our being. This is more good news. This is good. He knows your thoughts, friends, and your histories, and your desires, what you did yesterday, what you're going to do tomorrow. He sees you. Even as you go and you hide from friends, family, core groups, roommates, enemies, coaches, teachers, pastors, whomever you're hiding from, he sees you. But hear me, he doesn't just see you. He loves you. This is why this is good news. And even Saul, killer of Christians, was not hidden from the love of Jesus, and he experienced a change of heart by a single encounter. You are not an impossible case, even if you've convinced yourself that you are. Praise the Lord. Then there are there are some times when, when we just might not want to change. We see this all the time in our actions. It is riddled through your daily life, I promise. How often do you know, for a fact, probably, that eating a salad at Whole Foods is going to leave you feeling a lot better, healthier, cleaner, whatever it is, than a huge, greasy, incredibly yummy pizza from... Loopies or Southside or Papa John's or Mellow Mushroom, pick your favorite. But you eat the pizza. You know the bagel bites, the spaghetti, the cosmic brownies, the donuts? It tastes better than that salad with lemon juice squeezed all over it because you're not using ranch dressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least right now, in this current moment, the junk sounds more appealing. It always does. Maybe it surfaces financially for you. I think it's fair to say um, that, that we're all aware of the benefit of saving money, some sum of money each month starting now, as 18 to 22, 23-year-olds, to put towards retirement. Saving for the future. We all know it's a good idea, but who, if you do, congratulations, I'm, ha I'm happy for you, but who starts saving money now as a freshman in college, as a junior who's just trying to make it? I guess not that that's an excuse, anyways. Um, but who starts saving now for a circumstance that we hardly have vision for? at this stage in our lives. We sit and watch Netflix instead of doing our homework. We make excuses to avoid working out. Or we talk about working out so often and so much that somehow we've convinced ourselves that we really did work out, but I never got up. We do this. We linger with our girlfriends and boyfriends 
We linger until it is just not life-giving for either of us, rather than setting and adhering to respectful boundaries. We over and over and over claim to want a thing, but act in opposition to it. I haven't even brought up pornography, marijuana, alcohol, sex, nicotine. How often are we acting in a way that is in opposition to what we actually think we want? We are often incredibly aware of the more life-giving decision, posture, direction. We just don't always want it. But goodness gracious, the kingdom of Jesus is worth it, friends. Set your sights on something greater. Posture your mind to zoom out. Consider the whole. Try to claim that vision that vision of what is beyond us, that eternal vision. Please know, please know that Jesus is interested in you on both a personal and an eternal level. It does not end at your exam. It does not end at your living situation. It does not end at a mistake. It does not end in your sin. Jesus is interested in you on a personal and eternal level. C.S. Lewis, a hero of Jason's, puts it beautifully, um, as he always does, when speaking of God's love towards us. God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. And because he is love, he can only will what is best for us, which is to be transformed into a being of holy love like himself. He will settle for nothing less. As we meditate on God's love for us, especially in the cross of Christ, our love for our God and our neighbor will increase, and our hearts will become more like God's filled with love. Brothers and sisters, if you don't want change, the issue is that you have a small or incomplete vision of God's kingdom. You need a greater vision of his kingdom in your life. In fact, you must see the life of Jesus as something better than anything that anyone else is offering. Better than the empty promises of of looking to junk food or Netflix or pornography or alcohol or whatever it is that you choose as a way of, of brief fulfillment or numbing or some version of an escape. And you choose it because somewhere within you You believe it to be way better than the life of Jesus. Help your brothers and sisters, friends. So some of us don't believe change is possible. 
Others of us don't want to change. Some of us go in and out of both camps every hour. But regardless of where you find yourself identifying more with right now, feeling impossible or uninterested, Jesus is moving towards you. Friends, he's moving. If you remember the second half or so um, of the Acts passage Jason read earlier, there was a mention of a man named Ananias. So Ananias was a disciple of Jesus. Disciple means student, so he was a student of Jesus, um, who was given a vision to approach Saul and lay hands on him so Saul might be healed. To this call, immediately Ananias uh, hardened his heart a bit. He wasn't quite sure how to feel about Jesus calling him to approach an enemy like Saul, um, especially not to approach an enemy who who was killing Christians as if he were a brother in the kingdom. This is how Jesus wanted to approach, wanted him to approach Saul, was as a brother. Yet because of the personal encounter that Ananias had with Jesus, Ananias had a change of heart. And he went to Saul as commanded. He called him brother. He laid hands on him. And through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he made new a man who was a murderer. The man who didn't want to approach an enemy because of his own judgments or hesitations was made new. The man who was murdering Christians was made new. Every encounter with Jesus can change hearts. This is just, it leads me to wonder, um, friends, how... How is, how is the Lord wanting to change your heart? How are you going to make room for change in your own heart? If you're here tonight and you have any interest at all in Jesus Christ, I want you to know with full confidence that the Lord is on the move And he is intending to convict you, to stir up your heart, to comfort you, to create change in you. He may literally stop you in your tracks and knock you off your feet. I'd like to encourage you to do um, just one thing tonight. If you would, um, just be open right now. Ask the Lord what he's up to. Consider um, if and which of these two camps you might identify with. Know that, that Jesus is for you and that he loves you. I don't know if what you need is to hear that change is possible or if, if what you need is a vision of something greater so that you'll finally want to change. 
But what I do know is that the Lord is absolutely up to both of these things in this place right now. So we're gonna move into a brief moment of silence um, to be still and hear from the Lord before Jason comes up to walk us through um, the process of communion. So if you would, please just take about a minute to sit with the Lord in silence and consider what changes he might be bringing into your life right now.